Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you today. Today, we start the second half of our march through the Gospel of Mark, and we will dive right into Chapter 9 right after this. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, everyone, we are in the second half of Mark, and today, as I'm recording this, I am looking out, having had all my kids come and go over the summer, and now we've got the kids settled back into where they're going to be this fall, and we're on the downside of summer, and I'm already doing my my annual Caterpillar and. And I'm already doing my annual caterpillar extravaganza, doing swallowtails and monarchs on my back porch. So it is a glorious time of year here where I get to witness firsthand transformation in creation, which is what we are called to, those of us who believe in Christ. And I just think it's so perfect to have that taking place on my back porch is today we're going to talk about the transfiguration of Christ. And it is very similar to the transformation that we're invited to, right? Because we are worthless, sinful beings. We are without any hope at all, but God sent his only son to make a way for you and I by his atoning sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And what we're doing in this study of Mark, what we've been doing over the last several weeks, and if you haven't tuned in until today, welcome. So glad you're here. But make sure you go back and pick up at the beginning over at rachelcarmen.com. I have study guides, PDF downloadables that you can print off, do with your husband, do by yourself, do with some girlfriends, do with your high schoolers. The study format that I've chosen for Mark is just a very basic study method called a close reading. So the questions over at the study guide are just very, very straightforward. I go verse by verse through the passage asking very basic, fundamental questions. And in fact, 
the first time you march through one, you might think to yourself, well, that was profoundly boring. But I would like to suggest to you that it is in a close reading, which is a style of literary study that many academics use to study the classics of literature and other documents. That's what I'm applying here because my objective is to show you that studying the Bible and gleaning from its infinite depths of wisdom is possible. It is not impossible. I think very often the enemy of our souls who wants to do whatever he can to distract us from the study of God's word wants to convince us that we can't study God's word. We don't have a degree in the Bible. We don't know. You know what? You can. This is God's word to you. And that's part of the purpose of setting up the study this way is to show you that yes, you can. So I am using my beloved NASB 95 translation of the word. That's what I use to write the study guides and what I use to study for our time here today. And again, just going verse by verse, I am not using any commentaries for this particular study, just my cross-reference Bible, which I do sometimes refer to, but Almost exclusively, I'm just trying to take all of us through the Word. And I really do believe whether you have been in the Word of God since since you can't remember when, right? You were raised in church, you were raised in a God-fearing home, or perhaps you're brand new to it. One of the things, one of the many, many things I love about the Word of God is how it always meets me where I am. You've heard me say this before, very often I will come to a passage And I know that I've read it before, but I don't remember that aspect of it before. And it's not because the Word of God is changing. The Word of God is unchanging. So in these crazy, chaotic times, if you need a rock, a solid rock that's not going anywhere, that is Jesus Christ. That is the Word of God. Solid, rock, unchanging. The fact of the matter, however, is that He's changing me. And as I determine and deliberately come back to God's word over and over and over as he invites me to do so that I can participate in the sanctification, the changing, the transformation, right, that I'm called to, to be holy as he is holy, I do that by coming back to his word over and over and over. And as I do that, he meets me. And he shows me and he teaches me things that I missed last time. Again, not because they're new this time, but because I'm in a different place this time. And certainly that has been true for me countless times as we've marched through Mark. I don't know how many times I've read this gospel, many, many times, but I have seen so many things in a completely different way because of where I am right now in my journey the faithfulness of God that I've experienced, the mercy of God that has just covered me, my gratefulness to his goodness to me in my life. I'm at a place where I'm seeing things and the Holy Spirit is teaching me. And that's actually my prayer for you too. You have to know that my preference would not be a podcast. My preference would be a face-to-face with you, praying with you, praising God with you, and studying his word with you. But I I hope, and I do hope that maybe perhaps sometime we can do that. Um, I would love that. That is my preferential way of dividing the word of God. But 
I am endeavoring to be faithful and to utilize this media method and reach out to you and study God's word. And I do pray for you, listener, even though I don't know who you are. So we are today picking up again in Mark 9. We are going to attempt attempt to tackle the entire chapter. So you know what I know. That means that we're going to have to race. And a lot of my study is going to be left on the editing room floor right here in my recording studio. So I do pray that you will go over there and pick up that PDF download that you'll dare to dive and dig into God's word so that you can take hold of all that he wants to teach you all the ways that he wants to change you. So We've been looking at Jesus as the action-oriented Son of God. It's amazing. The servant of God, the servant almighty, Jesus came to serve, to serve. And we see that over and over. And here in the Gospel of Mark, remember, this was dictated to Mark by Peter. And that's another study. If you missed our study on the on the Apostle Peter, make sure you go back in the podcast and pick that up and listen to that because we jumped into Mark because of that study of Peter. So Peter is dictating this gospel to Mark, and we hear Peter. When you get who Peter is, Mark, the gospel of Mark makes a lot more sense. Why? Because Peter was a man that was move, 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 move. And that's how he saw Jesus. This is Jesus on the move. And what you need to know, listener, mom, your Jesus was active when he was here. And we are called to that same action. We are called to lives of action. And certainly if you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about. From the time you get up to the time you lay back down, you are on the move. And I just want you to know, and maybe this is your word of encouragement for the day, Jesus gets you, right? He knows that exhaustion that sometimes set up sets itself up for you for the whole day, even before you're vertical, right? You're exhausted before you get out of bed because you were up out of bed several times in the night, maybe. Or maybe you're exhausted by 915 because there's already been that sibling rivalry rear its ugly head for the day. Or maybe your kids woke up sick, right? One of my daughters texted me this morning saying that one of my grandsons was sick. You know, moms know exhaustion. And I think one of the things that can be really encouraging us to know is our God, Jesus, son. Jesus, the son of God, knows exhaustion. He knew that. He, too, was a man on the move when he was here. And he knew what it was like to minister day after day after day after day. And I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me that Jesus knows that. But I want us to look first now at the verbs associated specifically with Jesus in chapter 9 of Mark. He took, he brought, he was transfigured. He talked, he ordered, he foretold, he questioned, he commanded. He answered, taught, questions, sat, and warned. Those are some strong verbs that we have in this chapter. And again, I'm not going to be able to tackle all of those today. I do hope that you will go back and study those and look at those actions that Jesus took and consider how might they apply to you, right? And how might you need to exercise those? Certainly, if you're a mother, you are answering and you are teaching and you are questioning and you are warning, right? (laughs) That's what we do as moms. But one of the verbs in here I don't want you to miss if you're a mom is it says Jesus sat. And sometimes, mom, that's what you and I need to do is we need to sit, 
We need to do that. We see that Jesus does that here. The other component that we see that is a direct influence of Peter on this gospel of Mark is the use of the word immediately. I'm not going to chase that in our time today on the podcast, but it is included over in the study guide. So again, make sure you take some time for that. And frankly, all of this is why I pulled back to just one podcast a week because I want this to be your deep dive. I'm hoping that that's what you're there to do. And I know that I don't need... 14 additional great things to do. I need one really great thing to do. And so I'm hoping that this can be your deep dive. So once a week, I'll meet you here and then you can have that study guide and then we'll circle back the next week at the same time. I want to point something else out to you as we start getting into the text here. You'll know that the original inspired word of God did not have chapters and verses. Those were added later. And so I would invite you to try when you're able to do so. And it's, it is a mental thing, right? Because the chapter break comes up and you just sort of close the book, right? Here I just want to point out to you a really unfortunate chapter break. Because verse 1 of chapter 9 actually fits at the end of 8. And I just think it's interesting to see these and to point them out because sometimes these unfortunate chapter breaks sort of are a hiccup and we miss what should have been tagged on either to the chapter before or this, the last of the chapter before should have been at the beginning of the next chapter. So this is just an example of that. And so if you didn't know that the chapter breaks and the verses were not in inspired, now you know. And so this is an example of that. Jesus is actually wrapping up his teaching that he was doing at the end of chapter 8 in verse 1 of 9. Again, go back and look at that for yourself. I specifically want to pick us up in chapter 2, and this is really going to be the focus of our time together here today. You know, I've told you as we've gone through here, I've given you some additional homework of things to consider as you're looking at any of the four gospels. So the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are sitting here in this study in the book of Mark. And there are some really interesting things as you study just one of the gospels or you look at all four of the gospels. We've talked about how different people respond to Christ, his words, his teachings, his actions, fascinating study and you could start a chart just looking at the responses Jesus's action and then the different responses another thing is the various unnamed people in scripture as opposed to those who are actually named and so some of the very significant interactions that Jesus has with people in his ministry here we have their name But interestingly enough, there are many instances in which we don't have their name. And so that's an interesting study, too. And I'm wondering, I have wondered for a while now, if it's not an opportunity for us to put our name right there. I think specifically of the woman with the bleeding disorder. And her story is so so significant to me in that in her desperation, all she wanted was the hem of his garment, right? And I just think it's interesting for me to consider how, what is my point of desperation, right? So again, another chart you could make would be the unnamed people in the Gospels, any, all of them or one of them. 
Another one is what we're going to tackle here in this first part of chapter 9, and that is the different audiences that Jesus intentionally orchestrates. So there are occasions when Jesus is with the masses, right? So we have in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this massive crowd, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, right? The massive crowd. Then we have him in circumstances that are smaller when he's in the home of somebody, right? So there's obviously not thousands of people. It's a smaller crowd. Then we have instances where it's just him and his disciples. So the storm on the sea, when Jesus calmed the sea, that's just Jesus and the disciples, right? It's not, it's not the big crowd. It's not the smaller crowd. It's just Jesus and the disciples. And then we have instances where Jesus is one-on-one with somebody, Sometimes that one-on-one is a one-on-one in the midst of a crowd, so that's interesting. Sometimes the one-on-one is a literal just one-on-one. Both of those are interesting to study and look at. How does he interact with those people, whether it's Nicodemus, which is the story we have in John 3, one-on-one at night, or it's somebody that he takes aside from the crowd, right? But then we have what we have here as we're looking at the transfiguration, and that is when Jesus takes what we refer to as his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So Peter, right, the apostle that dictated the book of Mark, and then the sons of thunder, James and John. We consider that Jesus's inner circle. So with Outside, within the 12, Jesus had this inner circle of just three. And those are the three that he takes up the mountain. And that's where we'll go right after this. Okay. So again, picking up in verse two, it says six days later. So that is a time reference, which is another thing that you can do a chart or a study or make a timeline on. Right here, we have a very clear time reference. It says in verse two, six days later, after the preceding teaching that he has given, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, that inner circle. And he brought them on a high mountain by themselves. So it is just the four of them. Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And I want you to let the significance of this settle on you. There are times, there are times when Jesus calls you and me away. Maybe it's you and your husband away. Maybe it's you and your family away. And there's a moment you have just with him. That's significant. That's significant. So he takes these three disciples of his and they go up on the mountain. And it says in the last part of chapter, uh, verse two, he was transfigured before them. Transfigured. Now, I, I don't want you to miss this glorious confirmation that is happening here for these three disciples. I want to take you back just Just back to the previous chapter, to chapter 8, we studied this last time, starting in verse 27, Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say I am? Do you remember this? He's asking them, he's asking them, who do the people say that I am? And they say, ah, one of the prophets, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then Jesus says, yeah, okay but who do you say that I am? And not surprisingly, Peter is the one that answers. And Peter says so boldly, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't want you to miss this. 
Peter got who he was. He got it. And so now fast forward to chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus is transfigured. This is confirmation of Peter's confession. This is Jesus going, you know what, what you said just six days ago, you nailed it. You're exactly right. That is who I am. So he's transfigured before them. And then two of the fathers of the faith also appear. It's interesting to me that one of the people that one of the prophets specifically that the people thought that Jesus might have been was Elijah. And Elijah does appear on the mountain with Jesus, as does Moses. And these two figures, these two appearings of Elijah and Moses, these are significant because of what they represent. See, Moses represented the law. And don't forget that from Genesis All through the Old Testament, it is all pointing towards Jesus Christ. It's all pointing there. It's all pointing there. Moses was a pointer. The law was a pointer to Christ. And so Moses represents the law. Elijah was considered the great prophet. And what did all the prophets do? The prophets were definitively pointers. The last of the Old Testament prophets being John the Baptist. And what did they all do? They all pointed to the Christ. And so Moses and Elijah appear with the transfigured Christ who represents the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. Upon seeing this, again, here's another Peter moment, right? Peter, not knowing what else to say, right, says, let's do something. Let's do something. I I think this is really powerful because so often when something really extraordinary happens, when God answers a prayer, when his faithfulness is proven yet again, when perhaps you are on a nature walk with your children, Or maybe you're sitting and reading A Apple A and your kids finally get it, right? One of those amazing moments. Maybe it's a a walk on the beach with your husband. Maybe it's holding the hand of your parent as they're sick or you're just spending time with them. Those miraculous moments that we get that God blesses us with, right? All the time, all too often, we feel like we've got to fill that silence with saying something. And I just want to challenge you. We don't always need to say something. We don't always need to say something. It says that Peter didn't know what else to do. This awe and this wonder, this glorious moment, the transfigured Christ, the appearing of Elijah and Moses, and Peter has to say something. And it's not even a good something, right? It says Peter goes, this is great. Let's just stay right here. Let's stay right here. Look, we will build tents and we can stay right here on the mountain. God in his goodness gives us those mountain moments, those glorious, beautiful moments where it just feels like everything is lining up, where we just want to dance, where we want to praise him with our whole beings. And I want to tell you one thing that I've learned is don't point, don't put off celebrating the goodness of God. Don't 
put it off. Don't put off celebrating his glory and his truth and his goodness and his faithfulness. The hope, the love, the mercy, the grace. Don't put it off. And the reason I plead with you don't put it off is all too many times in my life, in the past, I've put it off thinking, well, you know, we'll celebrate that later. We'll circle back and we'll, we'll do that later. But you know what? You and I have an enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Those moments need to be celebrated right there in that moment. We need to be still and we need to know. Peter would have been wise if in this moment, with the transfigured Christ, and with Moses and Elijah right there, Peter would have been very wise had he just done Psalm 46 still. Just be still and know it. Just be here. I haven't found a translation of the Bible that includes the following phrase, but I actually think a more correct and certainly helpful translation would be, be still and shut up. Don't say anything. Be still. Be quiet and know that I am God. Be present right here in this moment, holding hands with your kids, snuggling with your husband. The awe and wonder of creation. Be still and know. Be still and know. But instead, Peter had to say something. Peter had to say something. There's a lesson here for you and me. There's a lesson. It said that they didn't know what to do and they were terrified. And at that moment, when Peter said something, a cloud engulfed them. Some scholars believe that that cloud represented the Holy Spirit. So if indeed that's true, and I have not studied that too in depth, I need to do that. If indeed that's true, we have a second moment here that I don't want you to miss. This moment is parallel then to the moment of Jesus' baptism. When at the moment of Jesus' baptism, we have Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We have the voice of the Father. We have the symbol of the Holy Ghost in the dove. And we have the person, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, being baptized. Here we would have the voice of the Father. We'll get to that in just a second. The, the physical representation of the Holy Spirit in the cloud and the transfigured Christ. Wow, right? Both of those instances. Trinity, right? A word that is not in Scripture, but we have an example right here, two places, right? Of Trinity. Now, don't miss this. It's pretty significant, right? Don't forget that from the end of the book of Malachi, the, the last Old Testament book of prophecy, right, in the Old Testament, until the beginning of the New Testament, right, there's a 400-year gap of silence, literal silence. See, God had spoken to the patriarchs, spoken, his voice spoke to Abraham, right? Spoke. And then we have the period of the prophets who spoke for God. But then lo and behold, at the end of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. But don't, be, don't miss this. The silence is broken. Not just with the cry of the baby in the manger. Oh no. Oh no. But with the voice of the father upon his son's baptism. And here again, with his transfiguration. And here he says this, the voice of God says, this is my son. This is my son. If there was any doubt as to who Jesus was, the voice of the father from heaven confirmed it. This, this is my son, he says. 
but even more significant. So a confirmation of Peter's confession of who Christ is. Wow. But get the second half of what Jesus, but get the second half of what the voice of the Father says from heaven. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is our word for today. You and I need to be listening to him. Look, there are a thousand voices competing for your ear today. The enemy endeavors to kill, steal, and destroy, to distract you from the voice of the living God. And right here, we have the voice of our father commanding us. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his words, mom. Wherever you are today, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to inspire you to make sure that of all the things that you're listening to, that you're listening to Jesus. Of all the things, all the podcasts that you listen to, all, here we go, all the music, all the audiobooks, all the talk shows, all of the news broadcasts, all of, I'm going to say it, the junk. We need to be listening to Jesus above all else. If you find yourself overwhelmed and exhausted, tired and confused, frustrated, we got to get back to the words of Jesus. We've got to make sure we're listening to Jesus. I would challenge you to go back and study again in chapter 7, verse 14, when Jesus himself says, listen to me. Listen to me. Mom, you and I have got to make sure that we're listening to Jesus. And that's really what this study in the book of Mark is all about, is that you and I would take time to dig in deep. And you know, I don't know how your study time is. I know that when I had littles, it might have been five minutes here and 10 minutes there. You know, often I had my Bible open on my desk with the study I was trying to get through. And I might get one question done before the first set of little feet hit the floor. I might get a couple during nap time. I might not, right? But I want to challenge you to dare to intentionally focus on listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus. Right after this remarkable voice is heard, it says that they disappeared. Elijah and Moses are gone. The cloud is gone. And now comes the time to go back down the mountain. God is going to give you and me those amazing moments. I'm actually doing a retreat this fall in Alabama. And I love doing women's retreats. I love getting away from the the family. It's a good thing to step away for a period of time to get some refreshment and some refocus and some renewal so that we can go back And I think it can be just so powerful. But sometimes, as glorious as the mountain is, we want to stay on the mountain. But there comes a time to go back. And often, the go back is the hard part, right? Because we've had this mountain. And really, what we want to do is we just want to stay on the top of the mountain. We want to stay with the transfigured Christ. We want to stay where the voice of the Father is thundering. That's where we want to stay. But the reality is, our lives happen down off the mountain. And it was time now for Jesus, Peter, James, and John to go down off the mountain. 
And they slammed into real life, just like you and I do. You will have those glorious moments with your kids, with your husbands, with your in-laws, with your family, in the summer, in the harvest, and then you slam into life. Look, you've got an enemy who's always trying to pick you off, right? We've got to make sure we continually focus up in spite of all of the junk that's down. They go down off the mountain. They go down off the mountain and reality hits. Reality hits. You've already got people arguing down off the mountain. Everything was awesome. Everything was glorious. They're coming down. And there are sorry, there was a person walking on the street, and I was afraid the dog was going to bark. So as they come, uh, I need to back up. Um, I need to talk about Jesus telling the disciples um, not to tell anybody. So. I think you can edit this, so I'm going to do that. So now at the end of the transfiguration, when Jesus is left all alone, it's time to go back down the mountain. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John are headed down the mountain. And what does Jesus do? He does two significant things as he's going down the mountain, teaching his inner circle. Just these three, you can't miss that. That's very, very significant. So they're coming down, and Jesus tells them two things. One, don't tell anybody what you just saw. And I can just imagine if I was Peter, James, and John, like, seriously, that was amazing. And I'm not supposed to tell anybody. And he's like, yeah, don't tell anybody until I rise again. And they're like, what? Remember, the disciples thought they were going to be part of a revolution. They still didn't get what Jesus had come to do. They didn't get it. They thought that he had come to establish himself king the first time. Spoiler alert, that's what he comes and does the second time. That's in his second coming. We are in the end times between his resurrection and his ascension until he comes again. These are the end times. That's where we're living right now. He's coming back and he will be king. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is yet to come. But the first time he came, he came to die. So here in verses So here in these verses, we have yet another occasion in verse 31 and and another occasion in 912B and again in 931 to all the disciples. So here just to the inner circle and then in 31 to all of the disciples, he's telling them again, guys, look, don't miss this. I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to die and I'm going to suffer. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. I really think the lesson for us here in this, and I'm going to have to let you chase the rest of it in the study that is available online because this passage is just so rich. I hope you can see we could do Mark for a year, so I'm trying not to do that. But there's so much more in the rest of the passage, but I want us to tie it up just right here. I want you to see that so often, We can't see what God is doing because we have so narrowly defined what it is we want him to do. And we need to dare, we need to dare to do what the Father says here, what Jesus himself said in 714. And we need to listen to him. And we need 
to expect him to do great things. We need to trust in his sovereignty because he is in the business of showing off to us. He is in the business of glorifying himself. He is in the business of answering prayer, but we need to dare to trust him with what those answers are. Because all too often, we claim unanswered prayer, not because it went unanswered, but because it went unanswered in the way we had predetermined it ought be answered. And that's not the sovereignty of God. God does answer our prayers. As we pray for those we love, as we pray that they would love him, seek him, serve him, come to know him, that they would embrace him fully and completely, we want that to be simple and easy. We don't want it to be messy. We don't want it to be hard. We don't want it to be painful. But let me announce to you today that sometimes messy and hard and painful is exactly what it takes for those answers of our hearts, the longings of our hearts, for those we love to know and trust him. Jesus right here in this passage He's going to show them what love is by going to Jerusalem, by suffering and dying. He's going to defeat death after he pays our sin price on the cross. He's going to defeat death, making a way, rising on the third day for you and me. Make sure that you take time to get that study guide and study the rest of this passage. I appreciate your patience. There's just so much more here that we can get into. And I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will teach and guide you as you do this. Blessings upon you. I will see you next time in chapter 10. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.